Welcome everyone, hope everyone's well. Particular welcome to Pastor Tony and Julie all the way from Gawler, thanks for coming, we, we love having you guys here. It's great stuff. Okay, cool. Now I want to start off today with introducing something. Most of you know how I love a theme, I love a title for a talk, and there's a reason for that. I love a purpose. If I haven't got a purpose, then why, why would I do something? There's got to be a reason behind what, what I do. That's, that's what motivates me. That's, that's me. So what I'd like to, to put to us today is to have a theme for this year. And our theme this year is up here. It's battle ready. Are we ready for the battles in our life? Are we ready to battle? Are we ready for the return of Jesus Christ? And this scripture up here in Romans chapter 8, I'd like to put forward as our theme scripture for the year. And in particular, this part of it where it says, if God be for us, then who can be against us? Now, this is actually a state of mind. This is actually an attitude. This is a purpose that you have. If God is for you and you understand that in your life, then what can come against you? It's kind of the ultimate and being ready for the battle when you know you can't be defeated. So that's what I'd like to put forward this year. And I've got a few, I've kind of even mapped out a few talks that I'm going to do in the series of being battle ready. And today I want to start off um, with one of those. I'm not going to give you the whole series today, although it might seem like that. Okay. Today, let's go, well, let's go to Romans chapter 8 just to start. We're going to read this, and we're going to come back and read a little bit around this passage. It's a very, very important passage, Romans chapter 8. It really puts into perspective what it means to be a spirit-filled son or daughter of the living God. Romans 8, we were told the other night, we were encouraged the other night to unwrap the gift that God has given us. And we were challenged in some different ways. And I'm going to throw another little side homework challenge. If you don't understand Romans 8 and its impact and what it means to you in your life, then unwrap that. Unwrap Romans chapter 8. It's a, it is a beauty. In verse 31 it says, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not? with him also freely give us all things. Now, this is not talking about your Maserati or the pool or even your boat. It's not talking about your desires. It's talking about you in battle mode. It's talking about us understanding what are these things, question mark. And Paul goes on and talks a little bit about those, and we'll get to those. So in our life this year, and maybe even now, we are facing some battles in our life. We all are. There wouldn't be many of us that could sit here today and say, I'm battle free. I'm good. I'm, I'm sweet. We certainly feel content in the Lord, but there'll be things that you're facing in your life. Some of them I know of you guys are facing in your life. So are we ready to face these things? I want to look at a few things today. I want to look at are we going to be defined by those things? Is that, are we going to be known as, ah, uh, that sash, 
Yeah, he's he's a little bit weak in the faith because he's 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 troubled with this thing, and you can kind of tell because we're the body of Christ, and we are joined together, and we know when one of us is hurting, and we know when we're not traveling well. It it is something that the spirit within us tells us. We know that. That's why it's important for us to be connected to the body because, as we've talked about before, is Christ's body, just like ours, has a mechanism to heal itself, to take care of itself. So we know these things. We know there's trials in our life. But I really want to encourage us today to be people who are not defined by the battles that we face. We're not defined by perhaps the battle that you're fighting even in your own mind, even as you sit here this morning. We all have horses running around in there trying to pull us in all sorts of different directions. You're not good enough. You're, you, you, you're not worthy. Oh, da-da, this is going wrong in your life. How can you praise God when this is happening? We've all got those things bouncing around in there. But will we be defined by those things? Or will we be able to say, if God is for us, then what can come against us? Or who? And that's really this year what I'd really like to see is is our catch cry. So let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And I'll get Eli to hit hit the slide thingy. And you know where I'm going. 1 Samuel 17, you know exactly where I'm at. And we're going to talk about today David and Goliath. And we're going to make some parallels in our own life. We're going to make um, take some of the encouragement that's in this for us. Chapter 17 and verse 1. We're going to read most of this, so we're going to work through it. So let's go for it. It says in verse 1, Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were to gathered together at all those places. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched in this place and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And this is it, guys. We're in a battle. We are in a battle. The flesh versus the spirit. That's the battle that we find ourselves in, just as Israel did. You could probably count the years of peace in Israel in the Old Testament on one hand. Because they were always in a battle. We are in a battle. Flesh versus spirit. And it goes on and says, And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. And it goes on and says, And there was, were out, went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He was basically nine foot ten, this guy. That's, that's how big that is, roughly. Three meters tall. So he's not walking in under that door easily. He's standing up, touching the roof. He's a big dude. He's a big battle. It says, And he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of it was 5,000 shekels, about 57 to 60 kilos worth of chain mail. Now, most of us would be, be, be lucky to get that off the ground, let alone wearing that and being moving around. This guy was a big unit. goes on, and he had... Greaves of brass upon his legs, or the, the leg things, and a target of brass between his shoulders. And that's the throat, the throat thing. You've seen those on knights, those, those throat guards. That's what that is. And it says, um, 
and the staff of his spear was like a weaver's bean, so it was a big thing, and, his, and the head of it weighed about seven kilos. I think, that's, I think that's roughly what the shot putters use. They use like an eight kilo ball or something like that, in, in, in world, and they can only throw it about 20 metres, and that's the biggest guys in the universe doing that stuff. This guy had a spear. Now, a spear wasn't for close combat. That was for something you could, you could throw a fair way. So this guy starts to give you an understanding of the, uh, the perspective of this problem for Israel. This was big. This is big time. It goes on, and he cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why have you come out to set your battle against, against us? Am I not a Philistine and you servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will uh, we be your servants and I will prevail against you and kill him. Then shall you be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we might fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. They were starting to define themselves by the problem that was in front of them. We've probably all been in this situation where we freeze and we're frozen in our own mind and our own heart. And it's fight or flight time. And this is where Israel found themselves, even the king. Now, we know who Saul was. He was of great stature in the land of Israel, the Bible tells us. The reason they selected him as a king is because this guy was the champion. He was the Joseph Parker of Israel. He'd unified the belts and he was the man. But he was afraid. He was stuck. He realized, I, I can't beat this. Now, that's actually not a bad point to actually be at. But it depends. It depends about where you put your strength in as to where you go from there. Because we heard about the other week about hitting rock bottom. And it's either the bottom and that's it and you give up or you realize actually what you're standing on. You're standing on the rock. So when we realize that we can't beat these things, we can go two ways. We can go, I'm beaten and I'm defeated and I'm stuck. Or we can say, if God is for us, then who can be against us? I know I can't beat this guy. Excellent. This is where God steps in. There's a fine line between that way of thinking but the way of thinking here, we're going to see success comes from one of those. And we're going to see that. In verse 12, it says, Now David was the son of that, all those guys. Jesse was his dad's name, and he was the eighth son. And in verse 13, and three, he had three older sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle. And the names of these three sons were all there for us to read. And in verse 14, and David was the youngest, um, and the three elders followed Saul. And David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Now, I just, want, I just want to touch on that because that's kind of a bit of a throwaway verse there. It says, David returned from where? Where was he? When we read the chapter before, he was at the feet of Saul playing the harp. We read that he'd been anointed as the future king of Israel. He'd just returned from the palace. So David was kind of known in the courts of the king. He was known. They knew who he was. And David knew who he was. We'll go on. Uh, 
and verse 16, it says, And the Philistines drew near, near morning and evening and presented himself 40 days. Now, for those of you that, are, that are love the numbers in the Bible, 40 represents a trial. Now, I, this is, we really, I really want this to be a picture of what happens in our life is that sometimes these things come against us and they defy our very being and our very faith in the Lord. And they stand tall in our life and they look like they're, oh, I can't beat this. And we kind of have come from the king's palace and we go, am I going to be stuck or am I going to go forward? And it can be a trial. It might not be an overnight thing. This might be a 40-day trial. This might be something that, that you're going to have to really press in. This is something that, we, that you're really going to have, is going to test your metal. And uh, so we see that here. And, and Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for thy brethren um, this bowl of, of parched corn and these ten loaves and run to the camp to thy brethren and carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand and look how thy brethren fare and take their pledge. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the house, uh, were in the valley of that place fighting with the Philistines. So these guys are in the middle of their trial. But I want us just to remember that these men were frozen. They were stuck. They were petrified. They were... I, I, can't, I can't do anything. They were stuck. And this young lad, he goes up there to to check out his bros and to see how they're going. Next slide, bro. Sorry, man. I'm a little behind. Yeah. So let's read what happens. We know what happens, but we're going to go through some of this now in a bit of detail. It says, And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle for Israel and the Philistines had put the army in array army against army and David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of his carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren this to me really signifies the fellowship and we'll see here with David about the impact that you can have if you stand victorious in your life amongst your brethren. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're the smallest, the oldest, the most beautifulest, the strongest. It doesn't matter. When you get in the trench with your brothers and sisters, you can have an impact. Not because of anything that you do, but because of your attitude towards the Lord, as we'll see as we go on. It says, uh, and he talked with them, and behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath. Goliath, by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, spake according to the same words, and David heard them. He heard this problem. And all the men of Israel then, uh, when they saw the men, fled from him and were sore afraid. They were still stuck. In verse 25, and the men of Israel said, have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel, he has come up and it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich him with great riches and all of this good stuff. 
And David spake to the men that stood by, saying, What shall be done to the man that kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after the same manner. And so shall it be done to the man that kills him. Now isn't it interesting here is that the natural motivation was actually laid out for these men. It doesn't actually record that anyone was brave enough to go, you know what, I'm going to have a crack. I'm going to have a go at Goliath. Like There's a whole big reward here. I'm motivated by the cash, so I'm going to have a go. It doesn't record that anyone took up that challenge. They're happy to talk about it. Oh, yeah, no, you can win a lotto. It's awesome. It just goes to show the point that the things of this world are not going to motivate you to be spiritually focused. They're not going to motivate you to stand in the strength of the Lord. Because these guys, there it was. You have it all. The king lays it out for you if, you if you can go and beat this guy. Surely someone would have said, oh, I'll have a crack. I might get lucky. I'll come up with a plan how I might beat this guy. I'll try and work it out. And I'll, oh, look, I'm really smart and I can work it out and I'll get the angles right and I'll do this. And then, and then life's sweet. No one had done it. They were stuck. They were completely frozen. But David here, I'll get you to hit the thing again, eh? Um, David, you get the sense here. He first of all identified what the problem was. He said, he's basically saying here, this guy's not defying you. He's defying our heavenly father. He's not, def he's not a personal attack on me. He's having a crack at our God. And you see, and then David's not comparing the problem to himself. And that's one of the big traps for us as natural people is we look at these things and we go, well, I can't, I can't do that. What? Me? Little old me? I can't, I can't, I can't face that. I just have to, I have to be frozen and I have to be stuck because that's how I cope. And that's because we've compared ourselves to Goliath. You'll always come up short when you do that. But when you compare your Goliath to God, guess who looks small then at three meters tall? It's Goliath. And David knew this. He understood that. He didn't define himself by his problem. He defined himself by his strength in his God. That's what he defined himself with. And so he had a completely different attitude. So here's this young kid who's kind of, looking at these guys saying, I thought you were the kingdom of Israel, the princes ruling with God. What? What's, I believe he was probably a bit confused here. He's thinking, sweet, my three older brothers have gone. They're awesome. They'll deal with it. I'm going to stay home in here and look after the sheep. Sweet, they've got it under control. This is awesome. And then he's rolled up there with his with his camembert and his blue vein cheese, and, and, uh, and he's found out they're all a quibbling mess. What's going on? And the first thing he identifies is, you guys have just defined yourself by your problem. Your sickness, you've become it. Your weakness, you've become your weakness. He's like, how does that work? He's just he's defying God, and he's put it into perspective. He wasn't going to let the problem define who he was. 
David knew who he was already, didn't he? Because in the previous chapter, he'd been anointed by Samuel as the next king. Against the odds too, by the way, when you read that. He was anointed, so he knew who he was. He knew that he was the king, the future king of Israel. Now that's likened this to us, is that when we're getting ourselves battle ready, do we know who we are? Do we, we've talked about this before, do we know if our name should be Jedidiah, the beloved of the Lord? Do we know that? Or are we stuck? Are we frozen as the fox <laughs> or as the defender of men? Are we stuck? David knew who he was. We've been made kings and priests in God's court. That's what the scriptures tell us. We've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit in our life. We have the scepter, if you like, to raise against our problems, God's seal. David knew this. And there's one thing here that's a really important point, I believe, here with David. I don't read anywhere here that David struggled with his appointment. That he went, oh, not me. Like, all my bros are way better than me. I'm weak. You know, I can't even rub two brain cells together. You know, this, that. I'm not fast. He didn't, he never, ever, ever doubted who God said he was. He knew that he was worth it. And that's a really important point for us, is that we have to grasp the fact that we're worth it to God. It's worth God's time and effort to honor his promises in your life. You're worth it. Again, sometimes we can get trapped and say, I'm not worth it. I'm not, I'm not, it's, nah, not me, Lord. I'm not worth it. Because we forget who we are and we define ourselves by a whole set of things that God says not to define yourself by. And David really encapsulates this. Knew who he was, knew he was a king. He knew that his God was bigger than Goliath. And that's where he sat in this battle-ready situation. He was ready to go. He was just waiting for his opportunity. And let's just go through a little bit here. Um, uh, diddly, 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 diddly. 30, oh, where am I? 28. Oh, let's read 28 and says, and, and his brother, his eldest brother there heard him and spake unto him and said, and he was, his, his anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come here? Why have you less left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart. For thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? You know, that kind of resonates with me personally in particular. Um, sometimes I've been accused of being proud. And oh, you're just, just because you're good at something. All my life I've kind of had... Personally, I've had these natural abilities that I've kind of trotted out and been trying to shy away from them. So people, no, don't see that. See what God does. But people only want to see what they think your personality is. 
oh, you're that because you're that. And they don't see what you put in behind the, behind the scenes. They don't see what you battle with in your mind and your heart. And that's probably the same for all of us. People kind of want to pigeonhole us like his brother did here and say, well, hey, 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 you're just a naughty, proud upstart. And he's saying, no, the things I've done is because I've pushed away my own self and tried to bring God forward. And he's saying, because there's a purpose, there's a cause here. Because he'd learnt these things before time. And we're get, he's just about to get into that. He's learnt these lessons before. And he wasn't going to allow even what his older brother again define him. And I always like to think when I read this for myself, is that my older brother is maybe my mind saying, you're just being, who do you think you are? You can't do that. Don't, don't even, what? Accept the defeat, Sash. Accept it. Oh. <laughs> just pull it down, Bev. Just yank. I know you've <laughs> You know? Sometimes your older brother, your mind can say, accept the defeat. Be defeated. But we have a cause, we have a purpose, and we need to hang on to that as David did. In verse 32, it says, And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with his Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against the Philistines to fight him, for thou art but a youth. And he a man of war from his youth. How many times have you told yourself that? And David said unto Saul, Thy servant has kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his bed and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. This is the value of your testimony. This is the value of the work that God has done in you and continues to do. Can you imagine being within 10 meters of a lion? 10 meters in the lion. Can you imagine being three meters from a lion? Can you imagine being on top of a lion? Like these things are mind-blowing. When you really, lion, bear, yeah, you slew them, yeah. You really think about what that means in your own life and where you would sit. But David understood that it wasn't his work, that his power came from his strength in the Lord. And the Lord had shown him these things in his life. So when it came to this Philistine, he had what I'm going to call spiritual equity. He had built up in his, in his life 
through the testimonies that God had done in his life, a strength of character that with God on his side, who can come against him? And all of a sudden, it put all his problems into perspective. A lion, a bear, a philistine, a job, a relationship. God's got all these. He's got them sussed. He realized that God had invested in him. Every testimony he had that came from God just made him that more confident in God's ability in his life. Every prayer he'd ever had had just increased his faith that little bit more. Every word of the Lord had been sown into his heart had pushed him further in his belief and understanding of who he was and what God could do in his life. had built up his spiritual equity. For us, our spiritual equity comes from our prayer time. Every prayer you have, don't think that God's not investing in you. He's investing in you. He's given you the Holy Ghost. He paid the ultimate price for that. It was quite expensive. His son died for that gift. And now he continues to invest in it. Every prayer you have, it's not wasted. Every time you sow the word in your life, it is not wasted. Every time God works something in you and gives you a testimony, it's not wasted. Every time you hear a testimony, it's not wasted. You're building spiritual equity so that you can stand in amongst of your mind and your peers and your troubles, and stand there and say, God has got this. If God is for me, what can come against me? Building that spiritual equity. Realizing as well that the commitment, because David must have made a commitment here to the Lord at some stage, as we have through the waters of baptism. You realize that you made a commitment there? You signed a contract with him. He said, I'm going to show you my goodwill here, my good conscience, and I'm going to get myself baptized. And I'm saying, I'm signing, I'm committing to you, Lord. I'm committing to you. And God says, okay, no worries. Here's the Holy Spirit I committed to you. Sweet. We're in a contractual, committed relationship now. God is committed to you. And he hasn't just committed to you in good times, as you haven't. We're committed to God, come what may. But in order for us to, uh, I guess, to build this faith, this confidence, this assurance in that relationship, we need to sow to the Spirit. We need to build spiritual equity, as had happened with David here in these circumstances. Hit the thing, dude. So David wasn't afraid here. He wasn't stuck. He was going forward. And in verse 38, and Saul armed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of brass upon his head. Also, he armed him with a coat of mail, and David girded his sword upon his armor, and he, and, and he was trying to go, uh, or he didn't go because he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off him. Don't look for fleshly weapons to fight these battles. It's a real trap for us to go, actually. 
I'm not strong enough. So what I've got to do is get myself strong enough and then I can face it with a side of God and then everything will be okay because I'll be right. That's actually called pride. And God says, you humble yourself before me and say, I got nothing, God. Your strength is made perfect in my weakness and God lifts you up. He gives us the victory. So David was like, man, these things don't work. I'm, I, I, can't use these, I can't use this stuff. It hasn't been proved to me. I, 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 there's no power in this. And he gets rid of it. And he took a staff in his hand and he chose five small stones out of the brook. And he put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even a script. And a sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. Use the weapons that God has already proven in your life. Prayer. Unwrapping the gift of his word. Fellowship. Building yourself up in the testimony. This is why Paul spends how many letters writing the same thing again and again. Don't forsake the fellowshipping of yourselves together. Get together. Make it. Make excuses to get there, not to not get there. Make it the focal point of your life. Understand it's your strength. So to these things. Recognize that these are the five smooth stones in your life. That the word of God and its mechanisms, if you trust in God's processes, you will have victory. It's amazing how often I've done it and I've seen it happen when I've got a problem with someone. Right, that's it. I'm going to teach that guy. He's going to cop it from me. And I invest in my own process. And I'm going to show them because I'm going to do this. Hmm, see? Yeah, they're going to feel real bad now because I did that. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to look at them. I'm not going to say hello to them. And, and you're like, what are you doing, you idiot? That's, that's often where I get to in my head. You clown. When God says, if you've got a problem with your brother, you go to him. Like it's really funny, like I was talking with someone about this the other day, about for those that have been in a, in a management position in work, and all of a sudden you bring these principles to your workplace, they're like the most foreign concepts you can ever... S- I can remember, I had 24 staff. You've got a problem. I've got a problem with this person. No worries. Let's go. Hi, how you going? We've got a problem. And my manager would say, what, what did you do? I talked to them because we had a problem with them. Well, you can't do that. Like you've got to duck around the edges for about three months and then, and then you've got to come in and do something else. And I'm like, dude, if I've got a problem, you go to the source. It's a God's process and it works in our life. And so many times I've been saved in my own self because I've gone, I'm going to follow God's process. I'm going to invest in his process. Prayer and fasting. How many times have we invested in that? And gone, oh yeah, to not eat. Well, that's dumb. I'm not going to do that. And then we heed God's word. This faith does not come about much with much prayer and fasting. And we go, you know what? I'm going to put away this stuff. I'm going to set the boundary lines really clear that this is a spiritual battle. That's what fasting really does, is, isn't it? It's saying, I'm going to actually call this for what it is. This is not a natural battle. This is a spiritual battle. So we're going to fight it spiritually. Good, goodbye, flesh. Let's fight it with prayer. That's, that's what it is. You draw the battle lines. Confess your faults one to another. Oh, oh, use the church. I don't want to. I've got to come to the church and I've got to be, oh, 
perfect and sit there. Oh, mm, mm, mm. Man, I've done that. What a joke that is. When there's this resource in the fellowship, God has placed oversight in our fellowship to help us out. But how, much, how often do we use it? Is it under underutilized resource in a fellowship? I'd probably reckon it is. And that goes for me as much as anybody else standing standing here saying that. Do I use the prayer line in our fellowships? <sighs> Maybe I should. A bit more. Do I seek wise counsel amongst the brethren? Or do I heap to myself smooth, soothing words so we can start a support group over here and we can all just agree? to suffer together in love for one another. God's not about support groups. He's not about going, this is your lot in life, and you're going to have to put up with it just as I am for the rest of our time until the Lord comes back. That is such a defeatist attitude. What? If God is for you, you don't need no support group. You need victory in your life, and it's there for you. But so often, as human beings, we want to glory in the misery that is a problem and that's certainly been a big thing for me in my life I want to take you through a little story a testimony of my own 13 years ago we sat in a little room and they said your son is hopeless your son has problems and it doesn't look good so you have a choice You can end this yourself and take control or you can suffer through the pain of dealing with a child with multiple problems. That's me summarising what a doctor said to Ella and myself. So what do I do? Now for me, all I had was the testimonies in my life. God had healed me from blood cancer. That was my line. So do I throw that out and say, oh, this is hopeless. I'd seen my parents' relationship healed. I'd seen people in our fellowship healed of all manner of things. And they was my spiritual equity. And I remember sitting there and thinking, what have I got now to offer this situation? I've got nothing. But I had the word of God. And out of my mouth came... The things that are impossible with men are possible with God. Now, I don't even really know why I said that. And I challenged the lady, can you say to me again, it's impossible. Yes, it's impossible. Genetically, it's impossible. That chemical reaction cannot happen again. Your son has a genetic deficiency, and that's that. Can you just say it one more time? It's impossible. Excellent. Because the things that are impossible with men are possible with God. That was the spiritual equity of my life. Right then I realized that every prayer I'd ever, ever had, every talk I'd ever listened to, every word of encouragement that I've sown into my heart, every bit of unwrapping of the glory of the Holy Ghost in my life had come for that point. That I was not going to be defined by my inability to save my son. But I was going to rely on someone who'd already saved his own son. God the Father. That was my choice. God's processes work. Sometimes your mind will trick you is that when you're standing against Goliath, you're going, that ain't going to work. I'm going to have to find another way. (laughs) 
But God says, mate, I've invested in you. You're my beloved. I've given you the Holy Ghost. You have an ability in your life now to trust me in faith, and you don't even know what's going to happen, but you will be confident in that. That is a position of power and of peace and of liberty. And that's where God wants us to dwell. And that's what I believe David really is teaching us. And that is how we remain battle ready. As we invest in that spiritual equity. So we're ready for what comes against us. We're not going looking for Saul's armor and other, other things. We rely on the tried and tested processes of God. And it might be tough for you to go, you know what? I've got to go and talk to my brother and I've got to sort that out. But you know what? It works. Pray and fast. I like to eat. But this is what is required for this situation. And so on and so on. In verse 41, it says, And the Philistine came out and drew near unto David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and fear of countenance. And you know what? That's the truth. When you face up to your problem, you are a youth and ruddy and fear of countenance. In other words, you don't have the strength to beat that. Otherwise, it's not a Goliath in your life, is it? The only things that are going to come against you are the things that are going to test your weakness, not your strength. At that time, don't expect to see things come at you at the things that you're the strongest with. In, in the, that ain't going to happen because you're going to go, oh, I got that tied away. Boom. What's, where's it going to come? It's going to come at your weakness. It's going to find an attitude in your life and go, there it is. There's the pressure point and I'm coming for you. Woo! So your Goliath isn't going to be something that you go, oh, sweet, I'm going to nail that. Your Goliath is going to be somewhere where, you, where you're perhaps untested. And it's going to say, you're not good enough. But guess what? We're not. <laughs> That's an empowering thought. No, we can't do this. Excellent. But God can. And it goes on and says, uh, And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that you come against me with these sticks? And Philistine cursed David by his gods. And, and the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said uh, to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied. Made the battle lines really clear. Hey, you're not fighting me, bro. Open your eyes, mate. See who I'm with and who you're really fighting against. This day will the Lord deliver thee into thine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcass of the Philistines to all those fowls of the air, and they can have a feed. And it says, And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saves not with the sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And we know the rest of the story. And this victory, this testimony in the land of Israel was mighty. The testimony that the Lord will bring in your life because you face up to your Goliath, will bring glory to his nation, to his church, will bring glory to his name. You know, the other, the other day at the moment, we've got, a, we've got Pastor Brian who's, who's fighting his Goliath at the moment. And praise the Lord for the support of the brethren. He's getting lots there at the moment, which is fantastic. And the prayers and, and your thoughts and your prayer and fasting and all those things are, are, are greatly received. 
I was talking to him at camp, and he said, all I want is for the glory to go to God. And you're like, whoa, that's, 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 quite, that's quite a good attitude. <laughs> he said, I just want the Lord to be glorified out of this. Who cares what happens? I just want the Lord to be glorified out of this. That the name of the Lord is glorified. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. That's the attitude. That's the spiritual equity that you can build in your life. I was going to go back to Romans 8, but I've probably gone on too long, which is normally what happens. And, and, and we read it, and it talks about, um, uh, I'll just read it for time's sake. It says, you know, we read before in verse 33, 35. Then it says in verse 35 of Romans 8, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? What's it going to be? Tribulation? Tough time? Distress? Something really unexpected hitting you real hard early. Persecution, someone calling you a name, having a crack at you. Famine, nakedness, peril, sword, it goes on and on. It says, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Ever, ever kind of looked at that and said, well, what is it actually, what? Comes out from the Psalms. For, the, for thy sake we are killed all the day long, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Do you know what it means? It means... The Lord's people are tough. They're used to doing it tough. They're experienced in suffering and tribulation, even as Christ, our King. Yeah, it comes with the territory. Ain't going to be a bed of roses. Ain't going to be bear and skittles, as they say. And then it goes on in verse 37, and it says this again. For all the horse lovers... Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Expect a bit of suffering, expect a battle, be ready for it. But know that we're more than conquerors in all those things. And then he goes on and says, for I'm persuaded. For I am persuaded. My mind is set that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature or creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's talking about the spiritual equity that you build up. The building of testimonies and the trialing of your faith works what? In Romans 5 it tells us endurance and patience and hope and experience and those things mean things like fortitude, the ability to enjoy our work and walk in the Lord even in tough times, to rejoice when we're experiencing things that aren't that flesh in our natural circumstance, to rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that actually it's part of the commitment that we made to the Lord, that we would deny ourselves and we would take up our cross and follow him. It means that's what the word cross means. It means there's going to be suffering. There's going to be things that you come up against, but you're committed. Not just in the nice, woohoo, yay, we're committed in good times. We're committed for when things come against us. I just wrote something here, and I'm just going to read it out a little bit just to finish. And these, and this, this goes, you know, this. I say this to myself as much as anybody else. It says, "Are we committed to the Lord?" The promise he has made us and the promise we made to him 
was not just made for the good times, it was made for all times. We have to ask ourselves that question where we sit with that. We have to ask ourselves now in the midst of our battle, is this as good as it's going to get for us? Are we going to let Goliath stand over us for the rest of our days? Are we going to be intimidated by how people treat us? How our mind and our heart treats us? By the wrongdoings that have happened to us? Or are we ready for the battle? Are we committed to the victory? We get a choice. What is going to separate you from the love of God? We need to understand the love of God is more powerful than all the things that come against you. Because the love of God includes all his promises, all his truth, all his dominion, all his power, all that he has to protect you, teach you, lead you and love you. That's what it means. And I, this bit here I just put, how can we walk away from that? We have been prepared for the battles in our life. We have learned through the Spirit, God's Word, and all the testimonies around us that we are worth it. If God be for us, then who can be against us? Let us be battle ready. Let us invest in getting ourselves ready to see the glory of God honoured in our life through our testimony. Amen? Amen.